0: sharp,
1: pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: The president's going to make
3: sure whatever deal we get is in our best interest, that it's fair and reciprocal trade, that it protects our intellectual property, and that it actually uh, has safeguards to make sure that the Chinese um, follow through with whatever commitments that they make.
0: Federal resources and frontline defenders are overwhelmed at the southern border. And the fiscal year 2020 budget provides sizable funding of an $8.6 billion for full completion of the wall and other border security resources. And now,
1: Stacey Washington.
4: Welcome back to the program. Thanks for sticking around for hour two. We actually have uh, another fantastic guest for you. We're going to be chatting with Tina Marie Griffin from Counterculture Mom. She is going to come on and talk to us about YouTube's new offering. It's called YouTube Kids, and she's got a problem with it. And uh, so Tina Marie Griffin and I met at uh, actually at a friend of mine's house here in St. Louis at that Tucker Carlson reception. Y'all remember that, don't you? Um, So Tina Marie Griffin was one of the speakers at the conference that uh, Tucker Carlson also spoke at. And so she had kind of automatic entrance into that wonderful, fancy shindig at my friend's house. And she and I'd never met. Now, Tina Marie Griffin has been on other programs here on the network. And uh, she's really, she's done a lot of work. She used to actually work in Hollywood herself as an actress. And she's now a mom of... I think three kids, she homeschools them, and they have a really great life down in Nashville, Tennessee. But one of the things that she's really concerned with still, that she still works on, is culture for children and families. So she'll be joining us. We have some callers still. I'm so glad you held on, caller. Uh, Alyssa in Oklahoma, thank you for holding on. And what's your comment? Hi, Miss
5: Stacy. I just want to thank you for your comments and your show. It is just extremely um, and, and informative, and I just love that it's faith-based and how much you love God and how much you love uh, the United States. Oh, uh, my thank comment you. is, <laughs> yes, ma'am, my comment is I was in the armed forces and I was stationed in Turkey overseas. Oh, thank you for your service. I, oh, there's a, yes, ma'am. There is a huge difference the way criminals are treated in Turkey than they are treated in the United States. If someone murders someone over there, They are executed. And I just feel like there's so many loopholes in our justice system that if we, if the crime fit the punishment in the United States, people wouldn't be coming to America feeling like they have free will to have power over other people's lives.
4: Oh, I I see what you're saying. If you you were a foreigner and you came here and the, the punishment for killing someone in this country was death, then you yes. wouldn't just nonchalantly run somebody over and then, you know, get a lawyer and, and get it argued down like that guy did. He shot Kate Steinley, Then he lied about it and said it was an accident. His lawyer helped him get off with, like, almost no time, like a manslaughter charge. He should have been put to death for killing her. I agree. That's right.
5: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, because over in Turkey, if people feel their fingers or hands are removed, you know, mm. you should tie down a lot of shoplifting. And things like that. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how people get out of heinous crimes that are committed all over the United States, even the world. But their crime rate in China is really low because they don't tolerate that.
4: Well, it's also low in China because you could just get accused of a crime. They don't have good due process there, and you could get hauled off and your whole family could get hauled off. So in that instance, you're you're going to not only obey the law, you're going to be very careful. Because your crimes can be used to hurt your whole family, so you know you they it, it's. I like the fact that in the United States you're innocent until proven guilty, and we have due process. But I do think it has the pendulum has swung too far to the other side. I don't I don't agree with lopping off people's hands for stealing, but I think if the punishment was immediate and quick and swift, and if people who killed people were killed themselves, like what the death penalty is supposed to be, then it would be more effective and. Um, the answer is that we have to put people in charge who are godly, who will, regardless of how popular it makes them or how it makes them feel, will do things correctly, will do the right thing. Uh, if we were to elect people like that, we would have less of this going on. Uh, John in Mississippi, thank you for calling the show today.
1: Uh, how are you doing, uh, Tr- Tracy? Doing good. Uh, how are you? Um you said something earlier, I think it it was that instead of Walmart I actually have two comments, but I'm gonna do this one first. I think is that see with Walmart you also have Aldi's, we got Kroger, we got Dollar Tree, we got Family Dollar, the Dollar General, you can replace them. The other thing is the other comment I have is is Miss Ocasio Cortez says she gonna stop putting some people on a list. Now remember this thing. If you don't remember nothing else, remember, Schindler's list. Mm-hmm. That's the spirit that she's operating under. She's taking list, and she's being used just like Hitler.
4: No, oh, yeah, she's she's a figurehead. Um, we had Magdalene Rose on the program to talk about that. And what was so interesting about uh, there's there's since Magdalene Rose is on the show, she's done a another couple of things, um. Like there have been another couple of exposés on AOC about how, first of all, she's she's essentially an actress. And the real brains behind her is that campaign manager. But there's also an organization that put her and a bunch of other people up, and she was the only one who really won. But they won big with her because even though her district is tiny and it only took 15,000 people to put her in Congress, she's able to exert a lot of force. And she's standing up to Nancy Pelosi which I never thought I would have a problem with someone standing up to Nancy, but I always think of it as someone standing up to her from a godly perspective. And this woman is really, truly demonic. Like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Talib, the other one, they're, they're, they have a demonic influence on uh, the political sphere, and we have to pray against that. We can't forget that the warfare that we wage, we're waging it in the prayer closet. That's where we're getting that done. Um, and then afterwards, you vote. Afterwards, you you uh, exercise your rights. You call in. You do whatever you're going to do. Um, Steven in Arkansas. Thanks for calling the Arkansas. show today. Yes.
1: Ma'am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you was talking about people boycotting kind of, sort of, on uh, Walmart.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, me and some friends down here are doing the best we can. We've got a little group that gets together for prayer and have our own little church get-together in the house. (coughs) But uh, we live on like under $800 a month, and there's just some things you have to have that you've got to find the cheapest for because Now, we got bills like everybody else, you know, and $800 don't go very far.
4: (laughs) No, no, it doesn't.
1: It's just, you know, you just have to,
4: and they count on that,
1: you know. So,
4: so what are you able to do instead of like, so you kind of, you're stuck with Walmart because that's a place that's going to provide that lowest price. Um, So you guys are praying about the situation.
1: we spend a little more than we should because we've been to buying our food at a, at a local little grocery store, a little town. And, uh, but every once in a while you got to have shoes, shoes or boots and some clothes and stuff. And Walmart just beats their prices so bad that, you know, we we really can't afford to just shut them off. We want mm-hmm.
4: to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I see what you're saying. you, know, you got to eat well and so in your case obviously you're going to have to do what works for your budget um and i i still think we can get the job done with walmart i think we can exert pressure i think they are more open to hearing from us than target was just because of the origins of the walmart but i don't know how far away from uh you know the the original founders goals and and aspirations the walmart leadership has has strayed but I do think there's something that we can do about it. And God bless you. I I think you should, you know, continue to do what works for your budget. Um and and leave leave this particular fight to us. But you're doing the most important thing, which is you said y'all get together and you pray and you're you're having church and you're you're exerting that influence, which is the most important one. And so I thank you for that, Stephen. I appreciate that call. Um you y'all can all go to the petition, which is at afr.net. Go to AFR.net and sign the petition. That is what our leadership uses, those numbers of people who signed the petition to talk to Walmart and say, look, this is how many people we have who are concerned about this issue. And that speaks volumes to them when they see those numbers. They know that they have a a certain, um, their their service, the cheap goods and the the high quality, cheaply priced products that they sell. They know that there's a segment of, of our population that really appreciates what they're putting down, they don't want to alienate them. And I do think we have a, an option here to make a change with Walmart. I I do. I'm absolutely do. Um AFA.net. Um I it's over at AFA.net. So remember AFA is American Family Association. And then AFR is American Family Radio. So same stuff, right? So if you go to AFA dot net, I'm going there right now, um the petition is here. Walmart launches gay dating ad. It's right in the center panel. Just click on it to sign the petition. I'm going to go to AFR and see if they have it over there too. I, I just assumed it was over at AFR because we talked about it on the radio. Um, on AFR, let's see. We have the mailing list, all the radio shows, the store. Okay, yeah. You guys, go to afa.net to sign the petition. afa.net. Thank you for that, Um, Renee, thank you for putting that in the comments. Uh, So, right now, I want to listen to Kudlow. He says that President Trump is sending a tough budget to Congress. Now, I I want, just for five seconds, can we just sit here for a second and marinate on the fact that the budget has, the budget deficit, it's even bigger than ever before. And now Democrats care about it because there's a Republican in office and they can blame him for something. They never cared about Obama doubling the, uh, the deficit. So, what I want you to do is. We have to think about this from the perspective of we don't care who's in office. We want the deficit to go down. We're not seeing that happen. We do want to hold the president accountable. But is he really solely responsible for it? Or is there someone called the House of Representatives who control the purse strings who are really ultimately making the decisions here? And the president just has to either sign the legislation or veto it. Here's Cudlow in number three.
6: If you want to deal with budget deficits, you've got rapid growth which means keep the tax cuts in place. We believe the 3% growth rate of 2018 will continue in 2019 and beyond 2020 and so forth. I think uh, the other element is always to limit spending. And the president is proposing um, roughly a 5% across the board reduction in domestic spending accounts. It will be a tough budget. We're going to do our own caps this year, and I think it's long overdue. Some of these recent budget deals have not been favorable towards uh, spending. So I think it's exactly the right prescription. I would just say that the whole issue of the wall and border security is of paramount importance. We have a crisis down there. I think the president has made that case very effectively. Um, it's a crisis of uh, economics, it's a crisis of crime and drugs, it's a crisis of humanity. We have to be much tougher and have more constructive immigration policy, which we will be developing uh, over a period of time. So yes, he's going to stay with his wall and he's going to stay with the border security theme. I think it's essential.
4: So uh, why do, why do reporters keep acting like because of opposition, the president's going to be like, well, I guess he can't get the border wall done. I guess I'm just going to have to leave that and go on back to my business. Why would he do that? And they act like it's a game. The reporters are like, well, you've been thwarted at every turn. Will you now give up on your useless quest to attain border security for America? And then they put the mic in his face or one of his representatives. And they're like, "Uh, no, he's going to keep working on that. Why? Why is he going to do that? Because he promised he said he was going to do it. So he's going to keep working on it. And if it doesn't happen right away, so be it. If it does, so be it. But he's not going to stop working on it. It's the same way they are about making abortion on demand the law of the land and getting, you know, even the youngest of children to have abortions. That's, that's their goal. They won't stop working on that. Why should the president stop working on what he's doing? And so, as we're going out of this segment, um, I just want to make a comment about the. It just has been hitting me from every side, this whole it's sororities and fraternities. And I know a lot of people are in academic. Uh, sororities and fraternities and and especially the ones that that you're doing that because it's a part of your your work, you know, professional sororities and and so on and so forth. I just want to caution all of us when we have these things that we're doing that we really enjoy, does it come in place of or take precedence over our service to God? Just a question I'm asking. When we get back, we'll have Tina Marie Griffin. Stay there.
0: Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products.
1: Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use a multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money is going to support the
0: work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Len Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as, or better, than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States.
1: The great thing about Redeem Clean is, not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause,
0: and that is the work of American
1: Family Association.
0: For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net.
2: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Is it possible that sometime in the future, the U.S. Senate will end the filibuster? When he was Senate Majority Leader, Harry Reid ended the filibuster for judicial nominees. That was done to help President Obama get nominees through the Senate confirmation. Now it is helping President Trump with his nominees. David French is concerned that Democrats might want to end the filibuster in the future, and that could break American politics. He raises this question because of an op-ed in the New York Times that has now led to other editorials and commentaries. The argument is simple. Even if Democrats elect a president, and even if they're able to control both the House and the Senate, they will never pass controversial legislation like the Green New Deal. We are a divided country. The parties are polarized. Major pieces of legislation, especially controversial pieces of legislation, will not make it through the U.S. Senate as long as a 60-vote requirement remains. That's why many are ready to end the filibuster. They look at the facts and say, step on the gas. David French looks at the same facts and says, tap the brakes. Now, I've always had a problem with the filibuster because it allows a minority to prevent the implementation of the majority. A majority of senators, as many as 59, cannot get legislation passed if 41 senators do not vote for cloture, which would end debate and allow a vote on the bill. On the other hand, I see the value of keeping the filibuster. A Democrat Congress passed the Affordable Care Act without one Republican vote when the filibuster was in place. Imagine the legislation that might fly through the Senate if the Democratic leadership ended the filibuster. It's worth having this discussion now, and it's worth seeing whether ending the filibuster makes it into the Democratic platform in 2020. We need to keep the Senate filibuster. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view.
0: Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores.
1: You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: Program. Thank you for being here today. You can find out more at American Family Radio's radio site, AFR.net. You can also go to UrbanFamilyTalk.com and you can go to stacyontheright.com. <laughs> yes. So um, let's now go to our next guest. It's Tina Marie Griffin, counterculture mom, She and I met at Shannon's house here in St. Louis, and we had the best time talking. She's tall, like me, but she's model thin, which is awesome, and she's beautiful. In addition to all those attributes, which I enjoy, she's brilliant, so smart, and so dead on with her commentary about where we are right now, and she's waging that war from home, homeschooling her kids, and doing a radio program out of Nashville. Tina Marie Griffin, thanks for joining the show today.
3: Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're either on the ground schooling our kids or we're up in the air uh, trying to share the truth next to the people on the plane. It's, it's just a nonstop job, but we love it, don't we? <laughs> I love it.
4: <laughs> when you sit next to people on the plane, they're in for a treat, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's about it, especially if you're on one side and I'm on the other.
4: Yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this this YouTube kids thing. So first of all, you know, if your kids are smaller, YouTube is a landmine. It's like you know, you, you let them on there, and they've cleaned it up a lot with the suggested videos, like the videos on the side that show up when you watch one thing. But invariably, they can't do it all because there are more evil people out there than they have moderators. And new content yes. is constantly being put up there that is just disgusting, depraved, and really inappropriate for kids. So they've launched something called YouTube Kids. So it sounds on its face like it should be great, a safe place for kids to go, an alternative to the wow, wow, west atmosphere of regular YouTube. What's the problem with it?
3: Um, well, the major problem that's going on with YouTube Kids, um, and here as we're talking, my phone's blowing up. Probably some parents that are up in arms with something else that just happened today. Um, I, I need to have five people on, on board here help me out. YouTube Kids, yes, used to be safe. It was something I promoted for parents. They want to make sure that their kids, uh, you know, they have 30 minutes to do something for fun and, and uh, jump on YouTube or watch some videos. Not a big deal. I used to have playlists. And I say used to because I had erased everything from my two younger girls off of you two kids. Because of some recent just uh, discovered in the last year, the most recent video last couple of weeks uh, showed a clip of a guy that is basically uh, has millions of different followers. I I think his name is Freddie. It goes by first name of Freddie. And he is encouraging kids in the middle of a kid's cartoon, mind you, Stacey. So they're watching a cartoon. He pops on for a couple of seconds in there and says, remember, kids, as he takes his hand as if he's slicing his wrist, um, slice sideways to get attention, but all the way down your arm to get the job done. End it. And that's what he's telling our five, six, seven-year-old kids, showing them and telling them how they can commit suicide by doing some incisions on their arm you know, via cutting. Well,
4: why? Why, why did he do that?
3: I have no idea what his main intention is besides trying to inflict uh, harm with children. But this stuff is happening on an escalating rise, even in our TV shows. So to see it with teens and tweens, very alarming. To see it now with toddlers, It blows my mind that this guy even has that many million followers. It's very disturbing to me. And the bummer is, like you said, there is no 100% safe uh, protection set up or settings that are available for parents when it comes to YouTube, even kids, to block this kind of content. It pops up unannounced in the middle of kids' cartoons. You don't know what's going to be on there. You watch a cartoon the first time, it looks clean, safe. Sure, go ahead and watch it for half an hour. And then, boom, you'll have this thing surprise the kids halfway uh, to the cartoon. Problem is, most of the parents don't catch it in time. They're not watching the whole time their children are watching these 30 minute programs on YouTube. So the kids are mm-hmm. exposed to this junk with the parents being unaware. I just said, like one mom happened to be looking over her son's shoulder for this 30 second span of time and noticed that commercial, took screenshots, sent it into YouTube, and girl, with some of these that he's pumped out before with suicide and cutting took eight months for YouTube to actually take off
4: of uh, their channel. Because they're too busy monitoring me for saying things like homosexual instead of gay and, uh, you know, illegal alien instead of immigrant. And my favorite, you know, being allowed to say someone who's trans is actually like mental, mentally ill. Like we used to believe and used to be a part of our regular psychiatric practice that trans people were mentally ill. They're too busy monitoring conservatives for that kind of talk to monitor these other really popular shows for, um, you know, the because what you're describing is uh, it's malpractice. It's what would be considered like if that were on a regular television station, they'd get sued. And so what is your recommendation to parents? I mean, uh, for me, this this comes at a time where my kids are teenagers and they're already watching YouTube and they're 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 all at the age where I really talk to them more about being obedient to God and listening to the Holy Spirit and not consuming content that they would be ashamed to have me see over their, you know, if I walk in and I see it over their shoulder, would they try to hide it from me? Because I'm trying to teach them to police themselves because they're going to be leaving home soon. But when your kids are teeny tiny, it's our responsibility as moms to make sure that they don't consume this stuff. It is our job. And if we fall down in the job and our kids see this stuff, it's our fault. Um, and so that's why you take it so seriously, which I'm glad of, But what are you recommending to parents about this uh, kid YouTube and all of this online content?
3: Uh, I think the biggest thing, and I want to make a quick correction. It's not Freddie, it's Frank. um, Just because you should see how many pop culture alerts I have in my head every single day. I have probably 30 of them right now I could talk about that are alarming the parents need to know about at this minute. The guy's name is Filthy Frank, and he has 6.2 million subscribers, Calls himself the, quote, embodiment of everything a person should not be, end quote. Well, that's the problem. We have too many people showing our kids what they shouldn't be. And yet kids are following that, emulating that, doing it. And we have kids that are dead with a disease, depressed, suicidal, cutting, you name it. Um, the biggest thing I suggest for parents today, especially with the onslaught of the attack, uh, through entertainment is, uh, not that I want to go straight to a book, but it's the best book I've ever read from Matthew McKee, Matt McKee, and it's called Parent Chat. It's available on my source at counterculturemom.com. I think it's 12 bucks, 10 bucks. And it's a great two-hour read because in it, he divides up, depending on how old your kids are, what tech gadgets are – uh have great godly advice. It should be allowed for each of those age parameters because sometimes we think, oh, a five-year-old can easily handle the iPad. Not any longer, uh, not in general. I mean, I have a five-year-old daughter who has to ask me permission to use it. She only gets on 15 to 20 minutes when she is on it. And I want to say a day, but she's not even on it every day. So I even not not only guard the content there on it, be very specific with the apps that are on there. I have a free parent media guide, which I'll explain in a minute for your listeners, that I helps guide them through what apps are safe, what are not. But know what apps are on your tech gadgets for your kids. Check out this book, Parent Chat, because it walks you through, are they ready for a cell phone? Are they ready for an iPad? If so, how do you set up the parameters on both of those tech gadgets to choose how long they can be on every day? Um, Circle Device. I have a great discount for the Circle Device, which helps set up for parents um, on the preprint Media Guide. You click on the Circle Device link. It takes you right to the page to order it. Phenomenal device where parents can have the power back in their hands and choose, okay, for my 10-year-old son, Jake, he can be on it for an hour a day, and these are the different spots he can go to and navigate on his own. I feel safe. I've previewed it. He's good. These are the places that I'm blocking that he cannot have access to. And then explain to your kids that it's not as though you don't trust them, you just don't trust anybody else. And give mm-hmm. horror stories, if you need to, of kids that found themselves kidnapped or getting a chat from a predator and it turned into a whole big a scam. I have videos on my website, counterculturemom.com, that parents can go to and watch this take place so their kids know why they want to make sure that they keep them safe so there's no battle between the child and the parent. This also was talked about in that parent chat book. I love the conversation starters. And then the circle device also allows you to set up, let's say, your 5-year-old daughter or son. You are allowing them to be on for 20, 30 minutes, and they have different type of apps to let them uh, be on according to their age-appropriate uh, range. I love the circle device because it allows you to do that. It also gives you the chance to say, we're not going to have any tech gadgets um, on From six to eight, that's family time, eating time, bonding time with the family. And let's say you shut off that the circle device shuts off automatically all tech gadgets at nine at night. So you don't have horror stories that I hear every day traveling America and talking to parents of how their kids stay up all, every single night, all night long till three or four in the morning uh, on Snapchat, on Facebook, on Twitter, all these different places, uh, choices game, you name it, which is horrible for the content itself where they're going on and staying up till 3 in the morning and not able to function at school the next day. So the circle device, the parent chat book, and then, of course, having conversations with his kids to help teach them why you want to have them only on for a certain amount of days. And then have them have play dates where they're outside in the yard. My son and my both of my boys today after lunch went out for an hour and played baseball. My son's going to be starring pitcher on the team this year. I'm totally stoked. But I have them outside, fresh air and moving around. And, um, you know, I don't want my kids to be obese so many kids mm. are obese today because they're on the couch watching entertainment or playing video games. So we just have to go back to being the parent, giving our kids some freedoms outdoors to have fun, have neighbors over and have a good time uh, and be active, join sports, join dance and not be um, babysat by tech gadgets and the content on the tech gadgets. That, that would be my top parenting advice right now. Mm. All coming back to the pre-parent media guide. Stacy, if they text the word guide, D-U-I-D-E, the number 444-999, they will get within a minute in their inbox once they respond with their email, my free parent media guide, four pages filled on how to do a pop culture purge in their home and get the positive thousands of positive entertainment options in their home to replace it. And I guarantee you, Stacy, I've had parents all the time email me in, call me, say they notice a huge difference. And with, within a couple of days of applying the tips I have in that guide, because our kids are feeding on positive content rather than the negative, which completely gives them a whole positive outlook on life and their feelings and their health, everything.
4: Okay, wait. So what what's the number that they text to again?
3: Yes, they text the word guide to the number guide.
4: 444-999. 444-999. Okay, so and then it. the counterculturemom dot com is the website that people can go to to get the resources that you just described. So yes. fantastic breakdown! You just did that so quickly, and I sh- I encourage people share the podcast, share this with someone you know. If you've been to coffee with girlfriends or moms night, and people are talking about how they can't control their kids with their devices, talk to them. Share this. Share this interview with them. This is how you can get the information out there, and we can fight back. The other thing I recommend is. For your bigger kids, it's that and the circle device. I remember hearing about it, and then of course it just slipped out of my out of my like lexicon of things. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We got to get that over here. We have a rule that you're so you can't take your phone. You can take it upstairs to listen to your music while you're in the shower. You know, play the music in your bathroom, but it has to be on the charging station all night long. So you when you go to bed, yeah, we do that. So.
6: Now, the other
4: thing that you're talking about, that circle device where it cuts the Internet off, we need that here because what happens is if I'm on my phone doing whatever I'm doing, then I don't notice that the kids are on their phones doing whatever they're doing. And it it stretches from 30 minutes to you can sit there for a couple of hours just looking at Pinterest. That's that's what I find myself doing. I want to unplug from politics. So I'll get on Pinterest and I'll I'll start off looking at cowgirl boots or clogs. And before I know it, I'm looking at home decor, shabby chic, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I've been on there for an hour. And then I'm like, ooh, I want to get up and get a cup of hot tea. And everyone in the room is staring at a tiny screen. I'm like, put these down. Let's everybody, let's talk. Let's, uh, you know, I'll grab one of the kids. Let's go to the the half-price books. Let's go do something. But it's a struggle because we use the devices too. The circle would make uh, a huge difference. The other thing that I want to recommend is for teenagers right now, and we, we have this struggle at our house where – Kids are texting each other all the time so they don't have to have each other yeah. over. So what I did was I made my daughter have a playdate date over Christmas. <laughs> she was like, don't call it a play date. I said, then you're having your girls over. Is that work for you? I don't care what you call it. <laughs> she texted them and they came over and the moms dropped them off. And I told them, I was like, you guys, you're talking to each other. If I hear silence, I'm going to come in and take these phones. I heard, I went out of the room. I heard laughing. I came back in with pizza they were enjoying themselves. When the girls' moms came and picked them up, all the girls were smiling as they left, and the moms were like, "You know, thanks for doing this." I said, "We should do this more often." Now, of course, that was Christmas. Is it March already? I have no idea. I'm like in a time warp, and it seems to it's be moving fast. It's It's March. Yeah, this it's hard. That's
3: a great idea, Stacey. It is, but
4: you got to do it. it. It's one of those things where, if you're anything like me, you're like, "Well, the house isn't clean, you know, or, or our dog who he's the kind of dog who has to be groomed. Look at him; he hasn't been washed in a few weeks, and he's matted. We can't have people over." Yes, you can. People don't care what your dog looks like. People don't care if your floors have been mopped the last couple of days. You know, if there's a dust bunny there, just pick it up with your fingers and drop it in the trash and and invite some people over. We've got to start doing this because our kids don't know how to talk to each other anymore.
3: Absolutely. You're so right on. I wanna give a little piece of advice. You gotta do this like weekly or monthly, girl. Like you and I are two peas in a pod here. Um mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that helped me out was sometimes I'm in a trance. I'm like, okay, wait a second. I'm giving them an hour for playtime and they're saying, What can we do? And the granted I have four kids, ten and under, so a little bit different age range here, but this could work for any kid age you got. I made a master list of activities they could do. So I'm like I have like thirty five things in that beat. So I'm like, Okay, Jake, you haven't done this for a while, try the Legos or We have Lincoln Logs or build a racetrack. Here's the marble deal. Because I want them to put things together to use their brain, parts of their brain Mm -hmm. they typically don't even use. Cursive writing I have them do when they're in um, their homeschool curriculum here that I've got. I call it Griffin Academy to make it sound cool. But, Mm -hmm. you know, all the kids have uh, big bins of different activities. And I wrote a whole list of things they can do that they keep switching up so it's never the same three things over and over again. Sometimes they go to the iPad. Because it's the thing you get addicted to and you forget that there's tons of toys, games, and puzzles right in front of your face.
4: So Yeah, and the I iPad actually has a lot of educational resources on it. You just have to go to those instead of just sitting yes. watching the dumb YouTube videos or watching the kind of meme lord videos, which the kids yep. like watching those. And sometimes, like, so I know it's not all bad because obviously the kids come over to me. And they'll show me one and we'll just laugh until our eyes are like, we're crying. And there's other times where my son will forward me an article and say, mom, have you seen this? You might want to talk about this on your show. So it's not bad. It's just the way we use it. It's the way we use it. When my kids were your kid's age, Tina, I didn't have to say that they knew if they said they were bored, I would make them clean, wash walls, wash windows. So they always had their Legos out and stuff. But now that was before the iPad. That was my kids were like just on that edge um you're fantastic the work that you're doing is god's work you're helping parents and i thank you for it tina thank you for coming on the show today let's talk again soon
3: you got it everybody download the counterculture mom app today
4: do it today guys it's good for you all right tina talk to you again soon we'll be right back with more have you noticed
0: how your priorities change as you grow older they are simple and silly as children Most of us don't even want to admit what they were in college. As a young adult, they start becoming more serious, and then your priorities completely change when you have a family. As we reach the last quarter of life, we start thinking more about our mortality and what waits for us. The problem with that is none of us are guaranteed any amount of time. Don't wait until you think you need to get serious about God. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to offer you forgiveness and hope for eternity. Don't ignore that gift and wait any longer to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Call 888-NEED-HIM to learn how to have a personal relationship with Jesus and take care of the biggest priority in life. That number is 888-NEED-HIM, 888-NEED-HIM. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Bishop Vincent Matthews.
6: Every one of my children have gone to college, uh, that are in college, on an wow. academic scholarship. You know, we taught them in our home. So reevaluate where Wherever you bought your hair or got it done, one day <laughs> it's going to be out of style. But your heritage is not just for what am I going to do today. It's for your children's 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 children.
0: The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Fox on Justice. It's a case that potentially could open a new front in the legal battles over abortion. It's a ruling by a probate court judge in Madison County, Alabama. Judge Frank Barger ruled that an aborted fetus is a person and can be named as a co-plaintiff in a wrongful death suit. The suit was brought by Ryan Majors. He claims in 2017, his girlfriend at the time got pregnant and had an abortion. She was 16. Her father says Majors pressured her to have sex. Majors says he pleaded with her to have the baby and Now he's suing the clinic where the abortion happened and the company that made the pills she took. He named the aborted fetus identified legally as Baby Roe as a co-plaintiff. The judge agreed. Major says he hopes that opens a legal door. Not only me,
3: but other fathers, other future fathers can actually pursue it as well.
0: Abortion rights activists call this a dangerous precedent in the growing movement toward fetal rights. They promise to keep fighting. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American
1: Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
0: Congress has been ignoring the president's spending reductions for the last two years. It's only now in our third budget that they're uh, willing to have a conversation about the national debt. We've been trying to have it since we got to office. The president is putting forward these reductions. He's putting forward a 5 percent cut to non-defense discretionary spending. He's putting forward reforms to mandatory programs that are on autopilot while keeping his commitment to American seniors.
4: Ah, wow. So. What's important? What's important? The president has actually been offering reductions and Congress has been ignoring them. And that means the Republican-led Congress was ignoring him. You hear that? That's the sound of the swamp waving a little flag of victory saying, yeah, we beat him for two years and now a whole bunch of them are out of office. Do you remember that's the same group of Republicans where a ton of them decided to retire because the new Trump reality of the Republican Party wasn't something they felt they can win in. They they were unable to win in that environment. And so when 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 we're talking about what the president can and can't do, we have to remember the confines of the environment that he's operating in. The swamp is real. It is on the right as well as the left. And he's got to fight that in order to get anything done. Um, So, you know, there it is. Now, I want to do a little just kind of circle around to close the loop. Um, Last hour, I was talking about um, the safety net that we have here in this country and the welfare benefits that people can get per state. And this was something that I I. I've read this many times on the radio. When I had a weekly show, I talked about this. I've talked about it a couple of times since I've been here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And, uh, you know, I've talked about the high numbers of Americans at one point under the Obama administration who were unemployed and receiving benefits. And when I talk about the benefits, I'm talking about studies that have been done by think tanks and organizations where they go to each state and they find out all of the different benefits that you can get and... That's if you qualify for those benefits, and then they create a picture with numbers of what welfare benefits look like in each state. Like in Hawaii, it's like $68,000 a year, something like that. So I now have this source up here. Uh, The source that I'm looking at right now is the Federalist Papers. They're using information that comes from a study from the Cato Institute And that study talks about welfare benefits payouts more than a full-time minimum wage job in at least 35 states. In at least 13 states, the payout is more than $15 an hour. And even more shocking, if someone were to draw all of the welfare benefits available to them, their pay would be more than half of that of a newly college-educated teacher in 11 states and add up to more than the salary of a computer programmer in three states. Now, I've read this story from many different links. I was able to find this one just in a quick search. In fact, I think the best place for me to look is at cnsnews.com, and I will put that link up as well. If you're interested in seeing the chart that I'm referring to, and I'll just give you a few states from the chart, how does your state rank is what the chart is called. Source is called the Work versus Welfare Tradeoff 2013 Cato Institute Study. So, you know, that's six years ago they did this study. You would only assume that the numbers have gone up. Uh, in Missouri, the pre-tax equivalent, is $22,800 a year. Now, I've seen another study that showed it being much higher than that. Um, I will look at Texas. Let me I have to scan these individually because they have them listed by who gets the most. In Hawaii, it's $60,590 or $29.13 an hour. And in Texas, the pre-tax equivalent for benefits that you can get in that state for welfare is $12,550 or $6.03 an hour. So it's pretty low in Texas. Uh, it's pretty pretty high in Missouri, twenty two thousand eight hundred. Ohio, twenty six thousand two hundred. Alaska, twenty six thousand four hundred. Maryland, thirty eight thousand one hundred sixty. And then from there, it's the typical states you would expect to pay a lot in welfare benefits: New Hampshire, Vermont, Rhode Island, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, District of Columbia, which pays fifty thousand eight hundred twenty, and then Hawaii. So like I said, I've got this uh, this post here. And I'm going to stick it right now while we're on the show so I don't forget right on the Facebook page. If you want to see these numbers yourself, uh, you can check it out. Welfare numbers by state. Welfare payout numbers. Um, And I'm doing that because um, I had, you know, an email from a listener questioning where I got that data from. And I have no problem answering that question. And and, um, I, I am careful about What I'm sharing here, I wouldn't have said that if I hadn't seen the data from a source that I felt was trustworthy, the Federalist Papers. Um, It's a good website. It's a trustworthy source. I wouldn't share that here if I didn't have a place from which to get that information that I felt was trustworthy. Um, I'm not speaking of personal, individual situations. I'm not referring to any one person or group of people or family. I'm only talking about what I've read on this study So it's not a personal statement, it's not a judgment, and it's certainly not meant to offend anyone. So uh, there's that information for you. Um, So now we've heard from the acting White House Budget Director Russell Vought about how Congress has been ignoring President Trump's budget reductions for the past two years. And I did mention yesterday, we have two more things to get to. First of all, this uh, House AG chairman saying that requiring SNAP recipients to work is not going to happen. And I just want to say, this is U.S. Rep Colin Peterson He said, I guarantee you it's not going to happen. The Trump administration's policies requiring states to enforce work requirements for SNAP recipients isn't going anywhere. Peterson's comments came after a U.S. Department of Agriculture secretary, Sonny Perdue, testified last week before the House Agriculture Committee. Now, he was talking about the state of the rural economy and committee members asked him about the impact of tariffs on farmers, supplemental nutrition assistance program benefits and the effects of natural disasters the expansion of rural broadband access, among other questions. Now, the Trump administration is reviving a 22-year-old federal regulation that has enabled states to acquire waivers exempting able-bodied adults without dependents, ABWDs, from having to work or undergo job training. Do you hear that? People sitting around on their duffs, not working, not getting job training, they don't have kids, and they're not working. But they're getting food stamps and benefits. Now, I'm not talking about people who are disabled. This is not about people who are disabled. It's about able-bodied adults without dependence. So let's be clear here before before anyone gets, you know, worked over that I'm discussing this. We're not talking about people who have a disability here. We're talking about people who are just as able-bodied as anybody else who could be pumping gas or working at, uh, you know, Aldi, Walmart, anywhere. They could work anywhere, seated in a desk, typing in information, data, entry, whatever, They're not working at all and they're still getting welfare. It used to be that you could only get welfare if you were a woman with kids. That definition has been obliterated and now you've got all this stuff. People defrauding the government because to me that's fraud. So um, it's not helping people to get from being on welfare and being dependent and getting to a place where they can be independent. That doesn't help them. If we don't say you have to work in order to get somewhere, then you're you're not going to see people working. I mean, if just think about it. Oftentimes, the incentive for us to do something is external. So we may want something, but if we don't have an external incentive, if the incentive is only within us, some people are driven. They will get everything done. And other people are somewhere in between where they need some external incentives and some of it comes internally. And for people who are getting welfare benefits and they're not working and they're not getting job training and there's no end in sight, why, if they're already inclined to sit, you know, a body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest remains at rest, these bodies at rest are going to remain at rest as long as they're getting these payments from able-bodied taxpayers who are working and paying those taxes. So it's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Um, and we've got to put a stop to it. Now, the other story um, that I wanted to get to before the end of the show today is about these AirPods. So 250 scientists have now come out with a warning about these AirPods. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, I'm really surprised by the fact that they keep making these products that have these issues and we just keep buying them and using them. And I don't have any AirPods because I think they look stupid. Stupid. So it sits in your ear and it doesn't have a cord. But to me, it's just something teeny tiny that can get lost. Because with the cord, you're able to like wind that around your fingers and, you know, kind of bundle it up and keep track of your headphones, your little ear earbuds. Without the cord, you just have the two little pods. How are you supposed to keep track of that? And they keep making the iPhone less friendly. Like the one I have is a 7. And it has this little, you know, this little tiny charger thing. And it's shaped like a teensy little square and what's so funny is um, that you, it's also your headphone jack. They remove the little circle for the traditional headphone. So it seems like it's like, oh, you know, that's so convenient. But it's not. If you're somewhere and you don't have your Apple earbuds, and like let's say you're on the plane and the, the stewardess gives you some, um, you know, plain earbuds. Well, you can't use them unless you have the adapter with you. And good luck finding that. It's tiny. It's easy to lose. I had one in my purse I thought I was keeping and I don't have that anymore. I have no idea where it went. Um, and so there's that, and then there's this whole, the issue of us, like we are so connected to these smartphones and we're not being told about everything that has to do with the smartphone that might be a negative for us. We're only told about, Hey, use your phone for this convenience. Use this to learn that we're, we're only told about the good parts. So the story is called "Are wireless earbuds, dangerous 250 scientists warn that they very well, very well may be. So Dr. Moskowitz, a University of California, Berkeley community health professor who focuses on cell phone exposures, says there isn't even research on what this could do to the brain yet, let alone regulations to limit the potential effects. He says, I can't imagine that it's great for you. And he's talking about Apple's wireless AirPods, which communicate with one another using a magnetic induction field, a variable magnetic field one sends through your brain to communicate with the other. So... Clearly, this is easy for us to comprehend. The earbuds sit one in each ear, and the thing that's between the earbuds is your brain, right? So they use a magnetic induction field to communicate. They're communicating through your brain. Now, if you have a cord, they're communicating through the cord, which doesn't run through your brain. So it's okay, right? So it's a totally different technology. They don't have any studies to show its effects. We already know that the Silicon Valley guys are like, hey, you know what? Um, We can do whatever we want as long as we get people to feel addicted to our products. And also, we don't have to have studies. We don't have to test stuff. We're just going to roll stuff out. And if it looks cool, if it's new, people will buy it. Because my husband said, it was so funny, I was complaining about the fact that when I got this iPhone, um, it was actually an upgrade from a 6 Plus that I had. And I filed an insurance claim and got it. And they gave me the seven instead, instead of giving me a six. And I immediately noticed some of the, you know, something wonderful about it was that you had more screen, but what wasn't wonderful was this stupid charging thing, which was also your, your, you know, headphone jack. And my husband said, they're doing that to get you to buy more stuff. People aren't buying enough headphones, so they've changed it. So now you have to buy it if you have this phone, or you could just buy a different phone, a, a more expensive model. Either way, they're going to get your money. And then he laughed. And I was like, oh. Thanks, technology guru. So you've got this magnetic induction field and they're using it to communicate the, uh, the pods are in your ears and they transmit this field through your brain to do the communication. Wireless technologies are simply outpacing both research and regulation and it could have disastrous effects on your health. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you that you cannot use AirPods. I'm also not telling you what you have to do. You do whatever you want, but I'm going to do this show just because that's what I want to do. And please don't go on my website or any place like that and email me about how you're using AirPods and you can't believe I'm acting like a doctor and now you don't like me and I'm not a Christian. Save those comments for your spouse or whoever it is you're really mad at. I don't want to hear it. So the petition warning that a microwave radiation from many popular wireless technologies may pose health risks has garnered 250 signatures of scientists. Now, the scientific jury is actually still out on whether or not particular devices can cause cancer, but animal studies on the kind of radiofrequency radiation that they emit, which is used in Bluetooth, cellular, and Wi-Fi transmissions, has suggested a link to cancer. Now, a lot of things that we have in our environment have suggested links to cancer. So that's, that's not actually that outlandish. But the question is, how can we minimize that risk while still having access to the things that we want to use? And it says, in some levels, the level of radiation can be found to be carcinogenic. Okay, let me do that again. The levels of radiation found to be carcinogenic were significantly lower than the maximum allowed by federal and international guidelines. So that means the minimum, the risk is, is low. Last year, Apple sold 28 million pairs of its tiny white wireless earbuds. The year before, they sold 16 million pairs. With a new design reportedly on the way, the technology company is set to profit even more on these tiny devices. Now, Apple and Beats wireless headphones account for 40% of the product market, but the devices could be pumping more than Beats into the wearer's heads. So I would just say um, exercise caution. Um, maybe police yourself. How, how often a day am I going to use these earbuds? Uh, what I try to do. Is I try not to use because I have to have earbuds or headphones on, which I'm using my headphones because my earbuds are broken because I took them on that trip and I totally trashed them. Um, I use headphones for at least two hours a day. So that means I'm trying to limit the remainder of the day that I use it. So obviously, you know, I'm home alone most of the day so I can listen to whatever I want to and I don't have to worry about disturbing other people. But I try to minimize the amount of time I use earbuds, period. Even if they're the ones with the cords on them, I don't have the AirPods. So it's all about moderation and not accusing me of trying to be a doctor. just want to put that out there one more time for anybody who's got their little fingers curved over the keyboard. Don't do it. Save yourself the time because I don't care. All right. Thank you for watching the show today. God bless you. I'm going to say good evening from the heartland. Citizens, be back with you tomorrow.